What do you do when the ministry you once plunged into with excitement no longer feels exciting at all? When what you imagined might be a little like riding a war horse into battle now feels more like a slow plod across a muddy field? In this episode of Justice in the Inner Life, we'll look these hard questions square in the eye and hear some truly compelling reflections on how each of us can live truly extraordinary lives right in the midst of our very ordinary days. Welcome to Justice and the Inner Life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans, We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medefind. I am here with Katie Davis Majors. Katie is the author of the best-selling book, Kisses from Katie, and the newly released follow-up, Daring to Hope, which I enjoyed tremendously as well. Katie is also the founder of an organization that does tremendous work serving vulnerable children and families in Uganda, Amazama Ministries. So, Katie, welcome to Justice in the Inner Life. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, Katie, let's uh, rewind just for a moment for those who may not be as familiar with your story. Uh, I'd encourage them to read your books, Kisses from Katie and then Daring to Hope. But just a little bit of background. So you have 14 children, including 13, who were born in Africa and came to you through adoption. But take us back a decade. You were a high school student in the Nashville area, cheerleader, all-American girl, and that was hardly 10 years ago. I imagine it just seems like a century ago at times. But um, can you, you know, can you give us, was there a, a moment when you realized that the trajectory of your life was going to change dramatically? Yeah, you know, I had, I think I had always really enjoyed service and was raised that way very much. So my parents were very service oriented and I grew up very fortunate um, and very privileged, but I was taught from a young age that, that that wasn't the reality for everyone. So my mom and I went on a short term mission trip for about three weeks. We came to Uganda over Christmas break of my senior year of high school. And I just, I mean, I was so captivated by the people and the culture. It's such a gracious and hospitable culture. Really, really easy to fall in love with the people here. And while I was here, I met a pastor who ran a different orphanage about 20 minutes away. And he invited me to come back and spend a year with him, helping him get a kindergarten program started for some of the children that were living at his orphanage. So after completing high school, I did decide to defer college for a year and move back to Uganda. And while I was here working at that orphanage, one of the things that really uh, surprised me the most and also um, just really shocked me and sobered me was the fact that about 80% of children living in institutions in East Africa actually have at least one living parent who would desire to care for them. And so often in the area that I'm living in, Orphans aren't really orphans because of a lack of love or even a lack of family members, but really just because of a lack of resources. So I was really saddened to know that a lot of the children that I had come to love in the orphanage had parents out there who wanted them but just couldn't afford to care for them. And so um, my desire, obviously, was to figure out how I could play a really small part in changing that. And I began to ask community members with the help of a couple local friends I had made We began asking, you know, if somebody would come alongside you and help provide for your child's school fees, help provide them with some food, help provide them with medical care, 
would, would you want to raise them yourself? Would that be your desire? And unanimously people answered yes. So I began sharing this with my parents and with a few friends from back in the States. And lots of them said, Oh, we'd love to get a little bit of money to get involved in something like that. And so within that first, Oh, probably within the first six months or so, I had started paying for about 10 children to go to school with the help of parents and relatives and friends from back at home. And by doing that, they were able to continue to live with their families and be raised in their communities and in their villages, but still have the opportunity to receive an education as education is very expensive here. And I think, um, you know, over the next year, 10 kids grew into 40 kids and 40 kids grew into almost a hundred. And I feel like that's when I really started to feel like, oh, this might not just be a year-long commitment. This might be a little bit longer than that. And then towards the end of that first year that I was here, there were three little girls in our program that were in a pretty tragic accident where their house fell down um, and actually landed on the oldest one. And so they came to stay with me for a little bit while they were recovering because their grandmother who was keeping them was very elderly and wasn't really able to take care of them in the way that she needed to with the oldest one being injured. Um, and then as I was fostering them in the short term, hoping to get them back with their grandmother, their grandmother actually passed away. And so um, I, I undertook long-term fostering with the goal to find family members for them. And for a variety of different reasons, we were never really able to find a suitable family member that could raise them. And so um that long-term fostership turned into my pursuit of adoption. And at that point, I definitely knew that this was, this was a mm, lifelong That's when you really knew. <laughs> this wasn't temporary. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Katie. And of course, I'd mention for our listeners, if anyone wants to get the full remarkable story, the book Kisses from Katie is a very compelling read. And uh, Katie, I would also really affirm what you said about kids and orphanages. It's not just in Africa, but in many parts of the world, studies indicate that between 60 and 90 plus percentage of children in orphanages have at least one living parent. And of course, you know, in, in some of those cases, it is not a safe environment at home, or perhaps the parent is unwilling for some reason or completely unable to care for their child. And so alternative forms of care are an important part of the picture as well. But uh, for Christians especially who believe that God created the family as the very best place for children to grow up, um, reuniting children with family when that's possible is always the first priority. So I just want to say I really respect how you are sensitive to that, how you are now um, working out a vision for children being reunited with families through Amazama's work. Give us just a little glimpse of that initial stretch of time as you began living in Uganda, you know, not as a visitor, but as someone committed to sinking your roots deep into that red soil, making it home. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of joy and a lot of excitement. Um, I like adventure and I like spontaneity. So that part of it was really fun and also came with it like this whole new level of trusting God in a way I hadn't had to before. Like I mentioned, I grew up very privileged. And so um, I had trusted God on some level, but I didn't really ever have to trust him to provide because I had found that I had most of what I needed um, in my early life. And now I was 
so far away from home and in this different culture where I didn't understand the language and I, I didn't know how to do anything. You know, I didn't know how to debone a fish and I didn't know that you have to boil beans for hours and hours and hours and hours before they get ready because <laughs> I'd only ever had beans out of a can. You know, I just, everything was so new. I remember once I was trying to make popcorn just over the stove, like in a regular saucepan, but I'd never done that before. I'd only had microwave popcorn and I lit this terrible grease fire. And then I got in so much trouble <laughs> with the host family that I was staying with. They were so upset with me. Um, and I'd just been trying to make popcorn, you know, so certainly, <laughs> um, it was, it was very challenging. And I found that, uh, my trust in God was was really stretched, and I had to trust Him uh, to provide for me and to be my comforter and to be my strength in a way that I don't think I'd really experienced before. And so, while sometimes that was scary, it was it was also really exciting and really beautiful. So you um, share a lot of those stories in Kisses from Katie, and I remember ending that with just a sense of the beauty it challenges, but but such beauty as you just described, mm-hmm. and in daring from hope, daring to hope. You, you now look back on kind of that early season and, and you use this phrase that reality would shatter your optimism. Is, is there a particular mm. moment when you felt that shattering in a particularly deep way? Yeah. I, I mean, I think I felt it, you know, in little ways over the course of the years. I had always been very much an optimist and it, it's hard to hold on to something like optimism when poverty is so in your face all the time because I – you know, I was experiencing very faithful people, people who loved the Lord with all of their hearts, who were still suffering tremendously. And that's very hard to grapple with, um, especially because I hadn't really experienced that before. And so I think um, you know, God kind of took away my optimism, but instead replaced it with a hope in him. I, I feel like optimism is so dependent on outward circumstances. And, and one one story that really cemented it for me was I had been fostering a little girl for almost three years. Her name's Jane, and uh, she had been abandoned when she was less than a year old and came home with us a little bit after she was a year old and had been referred to us by the government social worker as a child who had been abandoned and had no family. And we ran radio advertisements and newspaper advertisements and did not find anybody who came forward as willing to care for her. So three years later, I had started the process to make her adoption final. But of course, in my heart and in the hearts of my other daughters, it was already final. Mm -hmm. Jane was a member of of our family, just like all the rest of them were. And um, so as she approached her fourth birthday, her biological mother actually tracked us down. She had been living in a different country. And she tracked us down and just showed up at my doorstep and said that she had decided she wanted to parent Jane. Um, and I mean, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that something would happen and she would not be able to take her, which sounds so silly because I've just described, you know, that our whole ministry here is based on trying to keep children with their families and trying to build up the family as God intended it. But, um, it it hits home when you feel like, no, this is mine. This is my God given gift, my God given child. Um, and so outwardly, I really tried to appear very supportive of Jane's mom and, and tried to make that transition the least traumatic it could be for her. But inwardly, I think I really asked God some hard questions and wondered, 
how God could be good if he had uh, given me Jane only to take her away. And I felt like I was praying and I was praying and God wasn't answering those prayers in the way that I wanted. And, and like I said, that really um, you know, brought me so face to face with the reality that that's true for so, so many people in the world. You know, they are faithful. They're doing the right thing. They're praying the right prayers and yet things aren't going their way. And so, um, but I feel like in that really dark time, there, there was no denying that God was near to our family. He was just so near and so present and it was so tangible that even if I wanted to, I, I really could not deny that he was working. And um, I think that's given me hope to carry on in, in a lot, a lot, a lot of situations that have been really difficult. It's just that knowledge that God does see us. He is with us. He is for us. And in the most difficult times of my life, I really feel like those are the times He's used to reveal more of himself to me. And, and those have been the times where I've known new sides of his character and different things that maybe I wouldn't have known about him had I not experienced pain. That is well said. And I really identify with it, Katie. You know, this past year, uh, my, my wife and I, our family, had a little little boy with us, came to us as a preemie newborn and, and was, was with mm. us for eight months. And, and uh, we, we were fostering him with, with the hope of being able to return him to his mom. But when that time came, after eight months, mm. it still felt like our hearts were being, you know, squeezed in a vice. And, and just, uh, you know, we at times we were thanking the Lord that he was able to return to the care of his mom. That had been the vision from the start. But at other times, we were just grieving and missing him and missing his laughter and missing being able to tickle and, and cuddle with him. And, and so uh, I can only imagine after three years of being so uh, bound together with Jane to, to say that farewell must have been pain beyond words. Absolutely. Yeah. Where have you seen the biggest gaps between what you imagined that life in Uganda would be like if you gave yourself totally to God's work and what it actually has felt like day in and day out. Yeah, I loved that question. Um, you know, it's just a lot less glamorous <laughs> than <laughs> you would imagine or I would imagine or anyone would imagine. You know, it does sound kind of exotic to move to a foreign country and be a missionary and spend your life serving. And there definitely is so much beauty in that. But um, the day in and the day out can can seem rather boring and sometimes rather hard. You know, I always tell people, People ask me, like, what what would people be most surprised to know about you? And I always say, like, I think people would be most surprised to see how normal our life is. You know, we get breakfast on the table and everybody scrambles for their homework before they run out the door to school. And, um, you know, I, I homeschool some of my kids and different people come for us in need of help. And I fold laundry and chop vegetables for dinner, like, you know, things that everybody does. Um, and so I think, I think it's, it's less glamorous than I probably originally pictured or many people would picture. And it's harder to, you know, the, the initial excitement and the, uh, initial kind of feeling of adventure wear off. And Mm -hmm. then, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to ask yourself like, Oh, am I in this for me or am I in this? For God and because I believe it's what God wants for me. And ultimately, you know, he's the only one who can give you the strength to carry on when the days are starting to feel long. I remember seeing a movie about Father Damien. The, he was the, the priest who, who moved to Hawaii, to Molokai, to care for the lepers there. And he had kind of been a heroic figure mm. in my mind. And I remember watching 
the the part in this movie where he actually finally goes to Molokai and he, he arrives on a boat on the on the sandy shores there, and something initially kind of seemed missing in my mind. There was just this wind blowing in the background, and then it struck me that in this part of the movie they were actually they did not have a soundtrack there. He was just arriving on these sandy mm. beaches, and and it struck me that you know it's it, it almost seemed like something was missing because there should have been a crescendo of this great saint you know arriving right. on the shores to serve the lepers, and there was no music playing in the background. And then I realized you know of course when he really arrived on that beach there was no soundtrack in the background, and that's how you know when when we live. I, I imagine Katie as much as those of us who read your books might imagine otherwise. There is no soundtrack most of the time playing in the background. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's so correct. Well, you know, you have been through many really hard things uh, over this decade, including what you shared about Jane and many, many other things, um, some that really pierce the heart, even just reading about them. How do you feel like that pain has shaped you? Yeah, we have we have experienced um, a lot of pain. We've been really blessed to have a lot of different people live with us over the years. Our house is set up in a way that makes having long-term guests, pretty, pretty easy. Um, not easy on your heart, but at least easy as far as living arrangements go. And a lot of those people have been very sick. Some of them have died. Some of them have um, struggled with addiction. And we, we've faced a lot of hardship there, but, um, I, I feel like that pain has always, always, always just drawn me closer to God. I feel like every time we experience something that truly hurts, one, we're, we're drawn to God because nobody else really understands. And so we have to turn to God because he's the only one who could possibly understand our hearts. And yet as we turn to him, we realize that he's the only one who has fully experienced, you know, the full extent of human pain and human suffering. He knows it. He understands it. And um, that's just been really beautiful for me to grow in an understanding of the way that he has experienced pain and, and therefore he understands us as we grieve and he grieves with us and he longs to comfort us. Let me press a little further on that, Katie, because you, you I think, use the phrase, you know, we have to turn to God. But, of course, many people, when they experience the brokenness of the world, as you have, uh, they, they, they don't feel that they can turn to God. They, they, they sure. often feel driven in the other direction. So there's a... A certain element of, of choice, perhaps, in that. I mean, how have have you experienced that? Is it has it been something where at times you've felt like you've needed to simply choose that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I totally understand that, and I I have experienced you know being angry at God and asking God, how could you let this happen to me? Or even feeling like um, I can't I can't turn to God with this one because God God let this happen, and He knew you know He knew that this isn't what I wanted or. Um, you know, sometimes we're praying, we're crying out for things that we think are good, that, that in our understanding are, are good things. You know, praying for a mother to live, to be able to raise her child, that's a good thing. Praying for a friend to be freed from addiction, that's a good thing. And when we don't see those things happening, um, I've definitely been in a place of, of feeling angry with God that he didn't didn't answer me and wanting to turn away. And so sometimes... It definitely is a very, very conscious choice to say, okay, God, where are you in this? And will you please, will you please show me where you are in this? Will you please show yourself to me through this difficult circumstance? And, and I've found God to be very faithful 
to answer that prayer. And he hasn't always answered it in the way that I desired him to. Um, he hasn't always answered it with the happy ending that I wanted, but I do feel that when I have cried out to him and asked him to show himself to us, um, sometimes very slowly, sometimes very quietly, but he has made himself known. And that, you know, that gives me the courage to keep coming back. I, I can remember that the next time something is really hard and the next time I, I want to get angry or turn away, I, I can remember the way that he's showed up before and, and that keeps me coming back. I see a lot of continuity, Katie, between your two books, you know, in terms of what matters most to you, the deepest commitments. Um, but I'm also struck by differences between the two books, between Kisses mm -hmm. from Katie and Daring to Hope. You know, the first was about the big choices, uh, moving to Africa, committing yourself to ministry, adopting children, right? And, and the second one, Daring to Hope, seems to be especially about small, less dramatic decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, when the, the exciting places you've moved becomes just an ordinary place and, and when what felt like adventure is now just, you know, daily life. Um, has, mm -hmm. has that trans transition been a major theme for you in these recent years? Yes, it absolutely has. I think, um, you know, it's, it's interesting and, and kind of unusual. God did some really, really big things in my early life when I was a very young adult, um, barely an adult. I, I even laugh kind of to think about it. You know, I moved to another continent. My family grew rapidly. You know, before I was 23, I had 13 daughters that I was in the process of adopting. Our ministry grew so quickly. Um, God brought so much attention to our ministry and it did very well because of that. And um, I'm so thankful, but just a lot of big things in those early years of adulthood. And you're right, you know, then after a while, this new adventurous place that you're living just becomes home and your house and the place you do your normal everyday stuff. And, um, you know, we just become like any other regular family doing the day-to-day -day things. And I think over the last several years, God's really been teaching me what it means to be faithful to the place that he's called us, to the people that he has called us, how to steward well what he has given us. There hasn't, um, well, there certainly have been a few big things over the last few years. Benji and I got married and we welcomed our son about a year and a half ago. But for the most part, a lot of the things that have occupied my time have been really kind of under the radar, you know, nothing, mm -hmm. nothing too huge, nothing that you would really write a grand story about, but a lot of people in and out of our lives who have been in need of love and care. A lot of people, you know, even in our own family under our own roof that have been in need of love and care. And I think God has been showing me that, um, it is just as extraordinary to, help your seventh grader with the hundredth math problem. It is just as extraordinary to serve up a big pot of soup to your family. It is just as extraordinary to keep pursuing a difficult teenager in conversation. You know, those things are just as beautiful and just as pleasing to him as growing a large ministry or moving to a different country to serve. You know, I think, um, God is after our hearts, and he, he can use anything to transform our hearts, and we can use any opportunity to serve him and to serve him joyfully and glorify him in that. Mm -hmm. And so he's just been really teaching me 
the beauty of loving him in seemingly really small things and showing me that the small things that go on behind closed doors that only he sees those are really what grow my heart the most toward him. And I think in some ways those choices take a special strength. You know, it, it, I know for mm. myself when there's something that feels big and grand and, and like a great sacrifice, there's a, it's in some ways easier than those just small daily plod, but, but that's where the faithfulness is lived out, right? Um, you, you've used a phrase, Katie, that I, that struck me, uh, the extraordinary strength it takes just to be ordinary. What, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's all, it's almost exactly what you said. You know, it seems somewhat easier to do something when there are going to be uh, a lot of applause and a lot of accolades and a lot of people looking on saying, wow, I can't believe she did that. And it's so wonderful that she did that. It can be much harder to just do the everyday tasks and to do them wholeheartedly and do them with love. And I think um, especially when no one is looking, it, it takes extraordinary strength to continue to be faithful to things that the Lord has given you to do when there's nobody to say, well done. There's nobody to appreciate how hard you've tried, you know. Um, and I think I found myself there, especially many years ago, you know, after Kisses from Katie released and got very popular pretty quickly. There were a lot of eyes on us for a little while. And then the Lord kind of took us into a season of maybe less glamorous things. Ministry was kind of steady and we had great staff running it. Um, our family wasn't really growing anymore while we were each personally growing on the inside a lot. We weren't getting any bigger and, um, it didn't feel like there was anything spectacular to tell anybody about. But during that season, we welcomed a lot of really sick people into our home. And, um, I grew a lot as a mother and learned a lot about my children and, uh, the trauma that they had experienced and how to best serve them and help them grow through that. And I feel like, um, at the end of the day, it was just me. I mean, it was just me and Jesus. And he was the only one who saw any of it. Um, and I, I, I felt like that was really beautiful. I felt like to be able to know that he saw me, you know, that was enough, even even without the applause of anyone else. And, and I think that takes um, a spectacular strength to continue. And I mean, there are just so many wonderfully heroic people, you know, that will never, the world will never hear of them. Um, you know, they're the mothers and the fathers and um the teachers and doctors, there's so many people who are just faithfully loving the Lord in their place, one person at a time. And it's so very beautiful. Are there particular habits that you keep, Katie, that you feel that God has used to sustain you in that? That, you know, of course, it's God's grace undergirding it all in a mysterious, wonderful way. But that at the same time, it seems like he often works through choices that we make and habits that we keep that he uses to sustain, give that that, that extraordinary strength you're talking about. I mean, I think uh, first and foremost is always his word. And I wish I was a person who was so dedicated about, you know, a certain amount of time each day or even a certain specific time each day. And we all know that life happens. and That's not always how it is. And so um, I do try to be diligent in starting my day in his word. But I think I've learned to like, 
God doesn't have me on a timer. And so I've really learned to kind of pray his word throughout the day. One thing I really love to do is to take a passage, a lot of times even from the Psalms, and just repeat it to myself throughout the day. And then that way it becomes kind of this constant prayer. And I'm reminding myself of who God is in that. And I really feel like God is reminding me of who he is in that. And that's something that I can do, you know, while I fold the laundry or while I help a child with math homework or while I cook the dinner, I can repeat parts of God's word over to myself. And I feel like that has really, really sustained me in the most difficult times and the most joyful times. Um, And, you know, I, I think that's what the scriptures are talking about when when they say to pray without ceasing, you know, not that you always have to be at like this other spiritual level, but um, just this idea of being able to repeat the scriptures in our hearts and in our mind keeps us in kind of a constant awareness of God. So that's been really huge for me. Um, I think another thing that's been really important in my life is just good community and having, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a ton of friends, but I have, a small handful of very, very dear, very good friends who are the kind of friends that keep you accountable and that ask you hard questions um, and that pray over you and that point you to the Lord. And um, I think that that has been so, so very important to, I mean, specifically my longevity overseas because it is difficult to live in a different culture. But even just in my walk as a Christian, I think having really good good, solid Christian community around me has been very, very important. Has, has that community been both local as well as um, global, or, or is it primarily folks who live near you there in Uganda? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty much now only folks who live near me in Uganda because I haven't lived in the States in, in so, so many years. And um, there are a few years when I first moved here that felt very lonely because I had not made good friends in Uganda yet. But also any good friends I had in the States, you know, communication's hard and time differences. And then there's all these cultural things that you have to explain. And um, over the years, God has really, really blessed me with some dear, dear close friends that are just right here in our community. And I'm so very thankful for that. Mm, that's great. Th- thinking about that transition that you were describing a moment ago from kind of seeing the, the you know, the grand vision, the excitement for serving and the adventure of that, and then the transition into kind of the, the steady, less uh, exotic, less dramatic serving, what would you say to, you know, a young woman or man, maybe they've just read your first book and they yearn to be that kind of person too, to live wholeheartedly mm-hmm. for Christ, pour themselves out, you know, in ministry, um, what would you tell them that they should expect to encounter along the road ahead? Oh, I i mean, I think I would tell them that it's going to be harder than they expect it to be uh, and to not be surprised by that. But also, God is so good and so gracious to meet us where we are. And I, I think he will provide the strength. He will equip us um, for what he's called us to. And even when that's far more difficult than we could have imagined, I think it's so worth it because in it we get to experience God in a whole new way. Are there any particular practices that you would really encourage them to make a priority as they head out into that uh, reality, the more difficult reality than they could imagine? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, like I said, first and foremost, just prayer. And I think I've definitely been in situations where prayer doesn't come easily because I can't find the word, 
words to pray. And I think that's where scripture um, is just such a gift because there are words right there for us. You know, I'm just taking a scripture and reminding myself of who God says he is and who I've known him to be is so helpful. I would also just say practically in any ministry, just commit to be a learner. You know, I think we we all are so tempted to come into any ministry thinking we have the answers. I certainly was. Um, and I, I think the more I know, the more I realize how much I, I don't know and don't have anything to offer. You know, and so I would just say in, in any ministry environment, just commit to learn from the people that you serve, commit to learn from the community that you are desiring to work in, commit to learn the culture or the language or um, just about the people. I think uh, it is just, it is so easy to fall prey to the temptation that when we're serving, um, we know more or we have the answers. And um, I just know as I look at my ministry in Uganda that um, Uganda has changed me as a person so much. And I have learned so much about hospitality and grace and kindness from the Ugandan people. And um, I wish I would have been more eager to learn and learned it faster. But I'm thankful that God is gracious and um, that I've been able to learn these things anyway. Mm, so good, Katie. Well, as, as we wrap up here, um, thinking about the title of your newer book, Daring to Hope, do you have any special hopes for the road ahead? I don't know. I mean, we're in such a sweet season as a family. It's just been really kind of a restful, good season. So I feel very content in that. Amazima has recently opened a secondary school, which I'm very excited about. We have our first class of 72 students this year. Um, and it's just, we opened the school because we really want the education that we're giving our kids to have a primary focus of discipleship. We want to see these kids learn and grow and um, be leaders in their community. But of course, we also want them to know Jesus. And it's just been a really beautiful year. We have so many fantastic staff members who just have a deep desire to see these students come to know the Lord. And so um, I really am so excited and so hopeful for the next few years as we add students to the school. We'll add one grade level each year. I'm just so excited to see all that the Lord will do in bringing these students to know him. Well, Katie, you know, thank you for that work that you're doing uh, on behalf of so many who just appreciate it from afar. But, you know, just as much, thank you for the way that you are living thing these things out in the unseen moments and then can encourage others uh, from, from that place. Oh, well, thank you. I think what Katie shares is a profound truth when she describes that it takes extraordinary strength just to be ordinary. That is certainly true, especially if we hope to live well, to live lives worth living right here in the midst of our ordinary circumstances, whether that's Uganda or New York or Cincinnati or anywhere else on earth. And Katie has learned that key to living this way is keeping our hearts near to God. Time in his word, communicating with him all throughout our ordinary day, speaking honestly to him about both the joy and the pain and also walking this out with a community of other believers who support and encourage us along the way. That is the root of extraordinary living. 
I think back to right after college. I and three close friends were looking at the road ahead. I was planning to go to law school. Everything was lined up. But we feared falling into ruts of ordinary life, perhaps making a lot of money or, or doing some good work, but really having no passion for what we were doing. And so we decided to put grad school on hold for the year. And we spent that year in many different parts of the world living with Christians who are serving their neighbors in remarkable ways in Central America, in Asia, Southern Africa, Russia. And of course, it was an incredible adventure. We were traveling and seeing these places we'd never dreamed of before. It was incredible. And yet there was actually a disappointing element to this incredible journey. It was that, you know, no matter how remarkable a place seemed when we first arrived, After just a little while, often a few weeks, some of that magic of the exotic wore off and it slowly became an ordinary place. It was at first so amazing and then little by little it became ordinary. And then that really could have been a devastating realization. I mean, just thinking that the only way to have an adventurous life would be to keep finding new places uh, and, and having that feeling wear off again and again. But what we saw amidst that was something else as well, that many of these Christians, ordinary people who were simply serving their neighbors in remarkable ways, they were living with a sense of adventure. Yes, it was, it was very ordinary. It was an ordinary place for them, but they were living and loving well. They were living wholeheartedly for Christ. And we realized that that is where the true adventure lies, not in some far off place, but in learning to live and love well, walking closely with Christ and loving our neighbors amidst the most ordinary places. That's what Katie has discovered and expresses so well. It's what she's living in the midst of her ordinary place. And if she can, the rest of us can too, living wholeheartedly for Christ in our ordinary places. In the end, that's really the only place where we can live for Christ. Right here, right now, wherever that may be. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Medefint, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit kfo.org.